the phone is the mind space of your present customer and your future customer. That's where they live. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, it's time for episode 76. Today, we're going to talk about selling a manufacturing company and creating the Netflix of manufacturing. Our guest today is Darren Mitchell, who is the CEO of Mitchell Industries and the Chief Marketing Officer of Manufacturing Masters, an on-demand video platform featuring the world's best manufacturing information. However, before Darren jumped into these roles, he was the CEO of a manufacturing company of his own for almost 20 years called Trout River Industries. Given this unique history, here are three things you can expect from this episode. First, Darren starts his story in the context of Trout River Industries. We'll discuss the importance of mobile video in today's B2B world and how to differentiate and partner in a competitive landscape. Second, we'll get a bit personal. Darren recently sold Trout River Industries, and we'll talk about the emotional side of parting ways with a company he identified with for so long, in addition to some great business tips that make a company ripe for sale. Finally, we'll talk about manufacturing masters and what to expect from this new one-of-a-kind educational platform for manufacturers. As always, you can check out resources from this episode at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 76. That'll take you straight to the show notes for this particular episode. And if you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. It takes you right there on your iPhone or on your desktop where it doesn't need to take long to leave that review. It can just be a couple sentences, and all you have to do is hit that five-star button. That's the easy part. With that, let's head to Canada and jump in to today's conversation. Okay, Darren. So we're having this conversation virtually today, but if we were having this conversation in person, say, on Prince Edward Island, Canada, where you're based, can you describe a watering hole where uh, this discussion might be happening? Uh, the beach. We are uh, what we're 180 miles long and 10 miles wide. We are a remote island that is completely surrounded by beautiful beaches. And uh, many of my customers that I've brought here from all over the world, uh, every summer what we do is we actually bring out like the total redneck, we bring out our pickup trucks. We use that for the lighting. Uh, we have uh, set up a whole bunch of seafood steaming stations. And then we even bring out a crew nice. of fiddle players and step dancers. And uh, we just have a big party on the beach. And I absolutely love doing it because it's just a great way to get to know our customers without talking about selling or by the way, you know, if I'm from New York, I'm going to take you to something in New York. If I live here, 
I'd like to show you something from here that is completely unique. So, uh, yeah, I had some awesome experiences taking out some of my biggest customers and doing things like tuna fishing and them saying, man, we watched the, you know, the, the biggest catch and this has been a dream of my lifetime and us on the beach, uh, having a beer at the end of the night, listening to the fiddle players and watching the step dancers and going, I have nothing to hide. This is who we are. And if you feel comfortable doing business with a real human being, this is what you get. And that has developed a lot of meaningful relationships over the years where people will call and say, hey, could I just bring my family to come and see you? And me going, no, <laughs> you got a business to run. Get back to it. Wow. Okay. So we're not hanging out at a bar. We're like, we're, and, we're, and we're not just hanging out at the beach. We're like at a straight up beach party yep. after we've gone tuna fishing. So, so needless to say, we're having a great day so far, but let's say you know, it's between sets. The fiddle players are taking a quick break. It's a little quieter. We're hanging out there. I ask you this question, you know, Darren, why do people need to look at their business plan and look at their business plan in the context of their phone? How do you answer that question? I've heard you talk about this before. I think it would be an interesting place to start this discussion. Uh, the phone is the mind space of your present customer and your future customer. That's where they live. It's where they gain validation and it's where they gain their view of the world in which they live in. So uh, two things on this. One, I absolutely hate doing videos. I completely detest it. I, I see people at sometimes these beach parties and they'll go, hey, Darren, seeing your little video. <laughs> and I'll go, Ugh. What I love about it is in my 23 years of manufacturing, had over 6 million views on YouTube and people would call me from around the world and say, you're the doctor, you can solve my problems. And I absolutely love the fact that I could build the know, like, and trust before I even met someone. And I actually seen it as a sign of respect that the people who didn't like us, the people who didn't like me, they could automatically disqualify themselves and say, you're not someone who I want to get to know six months from now. Great. I, I actually sh gave you a bit of respect. So one, it's very important to occupy the mind space of your current and unknown future customers. And secondly, the other thing that we did in a clever way was we connected our products to sensors that allowed us, our staff and the customers to understand what was happening in the customer's business. So good example, the trailers that I built, we were putting sensors on them so you would know how many loads you did every day. So my customers, mm -hmm. while they were sitting in Florida on the beach, having a beer, um, what they could do is open their phones and say, hey, we have 12 pieces of equipment. We understand that two of them are for some reason not operational today. So the phone is a, not only a way to occupy their mind space, but we actually became part of their decision-making process. We were the vehicle that allowed them to do it, which transcended us from being benders of steel. Well, I, I want to go into Trout River Industries a little bit more. I because you you recently created 
uh, manufacturing masters. We'll get to that a little later, but we want to get to know you a little bit and, and the business you started. So you were making trailers since since this is a manufacturing podcast. Can you tell us a bit more about that application? What were these trailers for at Trout River Industries? Yep. So they are uh, big, heavy haul highway trailers that people use to haul things like asphalt aggregates. So we would have paved Shave Stadium. We were involved in the big dig in uh, in Boston. Uh, and even uh, just when unfortunately COVID started working with uh, Elon Musk company, the boring company uh, out of Las Vegas, helping build some of the tunnels they're, uh, they're creating for the electric cars. So anytime there was an infrastructure project in the world, we usually had some sort of equipment on site to move material in a unique way. And when I say unique, instead of a dump trailer having a, uh, a box that goes up in the air and all this stuff falls out of the back, uh, we built a layer of innovation into it, which it had a conveyor belt in the bottom. And now you can unload indoors and you don't have to worry about having highly skilled drivers. So that was the layer of innovation we built. So we were no longer competing against our massive competitors out of places like Ohio, which we could not compete against because they were vertically horizontally integrated and they had access to hundreds of millions of capital. And why on earth me living in the middle of nowhere want to compete against someone who's that much further ahead and also willing to compete on, you know, five to 7% margin. That just didn't seem like an attractive business plan. So anytime we could build innovation into the entire business plan, uh, I was very hungry to do it, not because we were incredibly intelligent people. It's just, we had to be because we were desperate. We were desperate not to compete against status quo because status quo we've already lost. Yeah, I have a question around this. You mentioned it was low margin. There were there was already competition in this space. I, I get the impression it was a saturated market, maybe for lack of a better word. So you ran Trout River Industries for 20 years. How in the world did you decide on to double down on this business, given all these things that sound like a lot of headwinds just from the get go? Uh, two reasons. Uh, one, my business partner started the company a year before I became involved. And he called me one day and he said, uh, sorry for your listeners, quote, you know that shit you do? <laughs> yes, he would. <laughs> I know 20 people and I've sold to everyone that I know. I ran out of people. <laughs> so I said, all right, let's. So we started working together. Then he's the, the technical brains of the operation. So we just started meeting with, especially uh, not only our potential end users, but we started meeting with our competitors. Mm -hmm. And we always came under the umbrella that you are big and strong and we are small and weak. We are insignificant. We're not a threat. And uh, we turned those competitors into partners. Mm. And that was strategically, I, I hope one of the best things we did is uh, one of them, we built a... They said, you, you polish aluminum. And we went, yes. How do you polish aluminum? And we said, well, we couldn't find anybody, so we built a machine. Could you build a machine for us? Sure. So we actually ended up giving them the machine we had built because we wanted to build a new version. 
Uh, I think they gave us $23,000 for the machine to polish aluminum. And the owner called me up and he said, you solved one, one of my problems. What do you want to return? And I went, I get to ask for something in return. And he went, yeah. And I went, um, can I have your warehouse and your price for axles? <laughs> and he went, hold on. Yeah, yeah, you got it. That one phone call not only opened up my supply chain, but started saving me $1,700 per axle. In one phone call, it was about $1.7 million in profit that year. Wow. And I was just like, this is great. All I have to do is be small and insignificant and helpful. <laughs> well, is is the lesson here... We, we talk about this all the time in, in the manufacturing industry and in a lot of industries, right? Is this like an all ships rise with the tide scenario where you saw an opportunity that in the Venn diagram of collaboration and compete, that there was more opportunity to collaborate with your competitors than there was to compete with it? Tell me a bit about that mindset or if I'm on the wrong track. Uh, really just an absolute stupid idea to compete. Sorry for anybody <laughs> out there who has that mindset. <laughs> Uh, it's you, you only have so much time and resources during the day. And if your mindset is to compete, uh, you're just using energy that inevitably is just for a complete lost cause, because ultimately your your customers want to see you as a problem solver, not someone who just beat up their competitor. So mm -hmm. if you're thinking about the future of manufacturing today, everything is in partnerships and they have, you have to make sure they're healthy partnerships. So everybody's bringing something to the table. Uh, but good example on that in Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Middle East, and Europe, we actually set up licensing agreements. So we were getting $250,000 a year in licensing agreements just from Australia. And what the value was for Australia is we kept bringing innovation to the table to our partners. So they always had access to the next products we were developing and they had access to our, uh, our brand and marketing, which they were desperate for. They even actually changed their company name to our company name. So wow. Basically, if you're thinking about manufacturing today, I would encourage any company to say, how do we set up franchising agreements? If you can do it for a restaurant, why can't you do it for manufacturing? And most people say we're all about timing and getting things out and Six Sigma. Well, guess what? You can look at your business differently today and say, how do we just partner some with someone in another country that we can reduce the threshold to get in? we gain access to market share and we potentially partner with someone who can bring other innovation to the table today. But most manufacturers don't actually see themselves that way. They say, you know, let's just grind and grind and grind and, you know, and hopefully we're getting shaving points at the end of the day to, to get to where we want to go. And uh, I just think there's so much future in partnering. Like one of my competitors out of South Dakota we were selling a few million dollars in parts components to them annually. Like the picture behind me is a facility I built for parts manufacturing to supply my competitor. Mm. And me going, I don't have to compete against you. I could just make 54% margin from you. And you see me as a friend. Huh. 
I love it. So actionable advice here, set up franchise agreements. I want to get another piece of business advice from you that that came out of another podcast that I'd heard you on before. You talk about the importance of being cash flow positive, right? I think any manufacturer should understand that. Um, tell us about the story where you basically created a menu of your highest margin items, if I understand that right. And that's where you decided to double down on. Uh, so <laughs> that day when I started with my friend who called me in, uh, I can share with you, we were still, you know, this is 20 going on 24 years ago. It was basically a fab shop. Mm. And I walked around, swear to God, there was a farmer who had backed up his truck and was using the press brake to bend his own steel. <laughs> and I went, this has got to stop. There, we were trying to be everything to everyone, and you can't focus the right amount of resources to create the systems you need to create when you're firefighting, and you can't think about what do I need to do to get after those highest uh, margin items. So the the trailer design we picked, we had, I think we had uh, about a dozen of them on the road by this time. So we basically, I sat down with my partner and I said, let's just pick this menu. And we also have to follow state regulations as to different configurations within that state. But basically we have a menu and mm -hmm. why don't we just make it really easy for our customers to identify with us who we are. They can actually explain to us who we are. But if we go into the customer today and go, Okay, what do you want for paint? And what do you want for tires? And we, nobody wants that. I just want a goddamn solution. So, yeah, yeah. And that's out of respect for the customer. So we, we sat down and we basically said, this is the thing that we have innovation in today that is patentable and will continue to grow different patents that we can set ourselves aside from the industry because we can't just be one step aside because we're already under the gun. People don't look down their noses at us because they say, oh, you're not from Ohio because all the best stuff comes out of Ohio. It does. And we knew that walking in with that image. So we literally had to be in being in that specific lane. We had to be two steps better. We'll be right back right after a word from our sponsor. Are you looking for the biggest events in the automation industry? If you are, you're going to want to hear about today's sponsor, A3, the Association for Advancing Automation. A3 is the leading global automation trade association of the robotics, machine vision, motion control, and AI industries. They also throw some of the best events in the automation and manufacturing space. And for me, they're the source of some of the best connections I've made in the manufacturing industry. You might not realize this, but throughout the years, we've featured over 10 different A3 partners on this podcast. Now, whether we're talking about their annual business form or their marquee event, the Automate Show, A3's events are the spot for building partnerships, exploring new technologies, and getting a pulse on the industry. If you're listening to this episode before June 2022, make sure to check out Automate 2022 taking place in Detroit, Michigan, June 6th through 9th. I, for one, will definitely be there. Head to automateshow.com for more information and to register for free today. And you can always learn what A3 has going on by visiting automate.org. 
And now, back to today's episode. You can't be everything to everyone. I feel like it's something I heard you come up or mention earlier in the context of your videos, right? Where you want to work with the right client, right? In this case, you're talking about focusing on the areas that make the most sense, highest margins, etc. cetera. Um, a lot of good lessons here. I want to switch to selling your company, right? Because you sold Trout River Industries not too long ago after running it for 20 years. Um, what was that like? Tell me about that experience. Mm, uh, it was, I didn't realize how personal it would be. <laughs> I never realized how much of my, uh, what my personality, my ego was in the business until I was being removed for, in, the, in a good way, until I was being removed from the business going, this is who I am. And there's good things associated with that. And in a leadership position, there was probably some bad things associated with that. But I was looking back at how many soccer games I missed and how many birthday parties. And, uh, you know, before we even had FaceTime, I was trying to send texts to my children while I was in Europe saying, your father loves you. See you next week. <laughs> so those moments came kind of rushing back to me. Uh, the other thing is um, how much I realize I enjoy problem solving. Mm -hmm. I really like for the first month after the sale, I was a little bit lost and I would actually, my wife was upset with me because I would go and create problems just to solve them. And she would like stop doing that. And I just realized how many times someone, you know, in a day, someone would knock on my door and say, you know, there's this terrible thing going on. What do we do? Um, and I, I enjoyed problem solving. So that was the big change. But the actual sale of the business, a uh, larger company came along and said, we love your model. We love your margins. Um, we, we just, we need a, we have a corporate structure to put in place. We don't need you going forward. And uh, I got treated very well on the way out of my own business. Um, but it was definitely a, a good reflection on life to go, it's not me anymore. And it became so much of, me and uh, i know that's selfish but the it is and it sounds arrogant but the flip side is uh i was also there on sunday morning cleaning the toilet some days just mm -hmm. because we had lost the cleaning person the week before and you're going uh i guess it's me <laughs> hey we need to make payroll on friday i guess it's me so i what i'm saying is i own that responsibility to the people who came and did such good work every day what I think ultimately was attractive, and this, if any of your listeners out there today own a business in a leadership position, I would say, is the accounting world gets involved and they do everything is based upon your balance sheet and your EBITDA. And what they do is, is uh, it's straight across, if you ask anybody in the industry today, because I am working with some other businesses, is um, it's it's just a multiplier of your if, of your EBITDA. So the mm -hmm. profit you keep at the end of the day times X, uh, and giving you something for your balance sheet as well. So the equity that you built into the business. Anybody out there today who's thinking of building a business to potentially sell, and that should be every single person who owns a business today. By the way, because your thinking should be the right way 
is if you want to increase the multiplier, because that's what you really want to do. If you want to increase the multiplier, it's either going to be on your brand. So we have a market that we've built, or we really believe in the value of that logo that you've created in the mind space of your customers, or it will be on your innovation. And that comes into, do you own patents? Do you have super unique processes that nobody else has? Uh, in our case, we had franchising agreements with other uh, manufacturers that made us valuable. But on the innovation side, not only did we have patents, we also had more products in the hopper that we were waiting to release. So it increased the multiplier because we had something that was uh, sort of in the chamber ready to go. So that was a perceived future value as well. What you don't want to do is set up a business where you're better than everybody else in the state of Georgia because you've shaved off an extra two points. That won't get the right partner excited someday saying, it's not a lot you're bringing to the table. We're basically buying a building people in process. So that, that was the big def differentiator that helped us get the multiplier that we were looking for. Okay. So I have two follow-up questions on this. The first is just to confirm my own understanding and, and kind of give our audience a summary, right? So in order to sell your business, it's the multiplier against EBITDA, correct? Yep. And in order to increase that, you got to have brand or you got to have innovation in the way that you described it patents, uh, franchising agreements, whatever that might be. Not like you just said, oh yeah, we shaved off a couple points here and we're doing better in that capacity. Yep, that's your EBITDA or EBITDA that uh, people talk about. That's that margin that you have at the business at the end of the year. And for anybody out there listening and going, oh my God, is my boss just building a business to sell? No, <laughs> that's just best practice. Yeah so that you know you're coming to a place of employment that is innovative, that does have brand, that is going to be successful right. for many years to come versus we're not making any money and then culturally we all feel like shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I, That's not a fun place to work. I, I was going to say, this is as much advice for just running a healthy business as it is one that can be sold yeah. someday, right? I mean, I think the two go hand in hand. The second question I have is as much personal as it is, I would imagine something the audience is thinking as well. A lot of us base a lot of our identity on our jobs, right? Like a huge part of my identity right now is on manufacturing happy hour. So what advice do you have for folks to be able to separate that to be like, if your job is gone tomorrow because you leave it because of some circumstances, if you sell your company, how do you maintain that healthy balance? So that way, you know, if that job is gone, your identity is not, you don't feel like you've lost a part of your identity. Uh, on a very personal note, it's uh, you have to work very hard at finding balance because my identity, I realized for so many years had swung towards the business. My home life may have suffered. And like I said, I look back now at all the birthday parties I missed and me going, oh, I'll, I'll catch that one next year. So um, you, you're also a human being and you have to make sure that you, uh, you achieve that balance as well. Interestingly, after I sold, I would have business owners of manufacturing businesses call me and I would get one of two responses. One, 
why the hell are you staying in manufacturing, Darren? And I would go, what do you mean? You, you, you got the golden ticket. You run for the hills and you never turn back. And I would go, but I'm enjoying myself. I, I love being yeah. in manufacturing. And I would ask the question, how's your business going? I hate it. I don't want to be here. Well, that's <laughs> probably why you told me to run for the hills. The other interesting thing that I got is the other half of the phone calls were, hey, Darren, how soon can we partner? Because I got big ideas going forward. And for me, that's very exciting to hang around people who are thinking about creating. And, uh, and I love that. And I don't have a good answer to your question, except that balance goes both ways. It goes for how you view yourself as a business leader in the manufacturing world, but you also have to work hard at being a human being. Because if you think about it in a leadership position in manufacturing, it's always these big life altering up, down, it's a hundred thousand dollars. It's a billion dollar deal. It's a, you're doing this. And then you go home at night and somebody's just saying, can you teach me how to ride a bike? Yeah. And you go, uh, 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 <laughs> you have to work hard on switching that mindset. So you're being the thing you need to be for yourself and the people you care about, which includes the people at work. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. I appreciate and, and you know what? I, I don't think there's a singular perfect answer to that question, right? Everyone's going to have different advice on that. I just wanted to hear it from someone that, you know, put a lot of his heart and soul into his company for 20 years um, and then sold it to another group. And the cool thing about your story, Darren, is that's not where things end, right? We, we let, Let's go back to the beach for a second. Let's, uh, let's say there's another break in the action with the fiddle players. How do you describe what you're doing now, manufacturing masters, if you're describing it to someone over a beer at a party? Uh, pretty simple. In the, So what happened to me after I sold is the phone started ringing from other manufacturers saying, do you mind helping us? And I went, I'm kind of, what do you need? <laughs> and uh, I did that for about three months. And what would happen is uh, I would work with senior leadership, identify what the challenges were, and I would send them an expert somebody who is really good at doing a thing. And then I looked in the mirror one day and I went, what, what, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> what are you doing? You're just diagnosing problems and sending. And then I, a little light bulb went on. And uh, in the last 10 months, we've built uh, Netflix for manufacturers. Mm. So what it is, is a platform that we currently have 81 experts who have all given us five minute videos that are very tactical in what excellence looks like. And I'll give you two very specific videos that are near and dear to my heart. They're, it's not my information. I just went out and found the experts mm -hmm. and, uh, and filmed them. So we have, <clears throat> we have curated and we have vetted the experts for the industry that manufacturers can go and learn from on their own time. And I wish I had my phone, but it's all back to the phone anyway, exactly as we talked about at the beginning. So you can go and find a video today from Jose Palomino, who is a sales expert in manufacturing. He's from New York and his video is called our number one salesperson is retiring next month. What do we do? And in five minutes, he explained to me every mistake I ever made in the last 23 years going, oh, shit, we did the wrong thing. So 
that's the point of the video saying you basically your instinct as a manufacturer is to go out and hire someone who looks exactly like Tony. Mm -hmm. And that's the wrong thing to do. It's the time to fix the system that needs to be fixed. And if you put what you think is the best person in place, you're going to do it wrong. And not only you, you will not know what mistakes you were making. Uh, another video is from Florian Meyer and Florian gave us a great video. He's a, he's been a manufacturing CFO for the last 30 years. And one of his videos is what does an actual manufacturing CFO do? <laughs> now keep in mind, I'm a manufacturer and I have a, uh, a table full of senior managers and in five minutes, Florian explains to me why I hired the wrong person. So what I ended up doing was hiring my accountant. So I would promote my accountant to a CFO position. And every time we would sit as a leadership team and I would say, who has some good ideas now? The person in the CFO position would tell me what the score was from last month. And I would go, that's not an idea. That's a scorecard from last month. They did not have, it's not to say it happens every time, but his video is, is why, if you do that, you're creating a potential problem for your business because that person is to design to create financial results. They're not designed to problem solve. So very tactical information for the operation side of the manufacturing business where they know it's curated and vetted. So what you're never going to find on manufacturing masters is someone who climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and is going to tell you about your business. We don't right. care. Yeah. I just, I need help now. Yeah. That, that stuff's great for a keynote talk, but I love the focus on practicality and, and just to give a personal shout out to manufacturing masters. There are a number of friends of the show that, uh, that are part of that series. Allison DeFord, absolute marketing expert, the manufacturing unicorn, Ray Zaganto. People that listen to this show probably recognize a couple of these names. So you've really put together an all-star cast. I think you said 81 people. When this episode comes out in January, 2022, that will have already come out in December, uh, December 2021. I think the 20th of December is, is the release date. So just in time for the holidays, right? But, uh, you know, as as we're getting through the content here, I, I, I'm reflecting on our conversation, right? What you said about, hey, when you when you sold your company, you missed problem solving. You have a big emphasis on leveraging video and leveraging digital to get in front of your customers. And you were also getting phone calls from a lot of the people you worked with looking for help. And you were putting you were sending people their way. I don't think it's any coincidence that Manufacturing Masters is what came out of this. It sounds like it's a perfect synergy of a lot of what the past 20 years have taught you. I appreciate you sharing the story today, Darren. Um, as we get to the end of the conversation, uh, what's something you wish I would have asked you that, that we haven't talked about today? Nothing. You did good. <laughs> All right. This is fun. I, that's an okay um, answer. <laughs> it's... Uh, I it, the the reason that I say that is uh, I, I think you and maybe anybody watching today is I'm very passionate about this sector. And uh, I, I know what it's like to, again, feel alone and feel frustrated. And who do I turn to for help to strategically grow to the next step? And for so long in my career, 
you know, again, I would have someone say, oh, you just go to a lawyer and they figure that out. I'm like, just, have you ever met one? <laughs> they, they don't specialize in everything we do because we're so broad and deep and complex as manufacturers. So it's, it's a very unique spot to try and grow a manufacturing business. And it's not always about, you know, Toyota production system. I, I love continuous improvement, but that isn't the complete view of where we need to go as manufacturing businesses. And I know when the business is healthy and people feel safe in a leadership position, they'll make better decisions for the future and the staff and the community feels better about it as well. And I, I think those are some things that hopefully just comes through in the interview that I'm pretty passionate about because, you know, we watch the news today and it's all supply chain management, uh, recruiting, um, what industry 4.0, those are great issues. But if the business of that manufacturer isn't in a strategic and a healthy spot, we're not able to handle those, uh, uh, new things we need to do to improve our position. What we tend to do is we get firefighting and we push those off. And for someone, you know, looking from the outside at manufacturing, you may go, the answer's all there. You just do them. And you're going, oh my God, do you know what my day looks like? I, I know I should be doing these things. So I, I, again, I'm pretty passionate about, I think if we can get something for manufacturers, whatever the means is to help them with the manufacturing business, uh, I know they're going to continue to produce wonderful things. Love the summary here at the end. Uh, again, I appreciate you taking the time to jump on the show, share all the insights from your decades of experience here. Darren, what's the best way to can, uh, connect with you and find Manufacturing Masters? Uh, so the platform is at manufacturing-masters.com and you can find us all over social media today. You can find me as well and uh, I'm pretty approachable. If anybody just wants to have a conversation, just reach out. Well, I do look forward to hopefully someday making my way up to Prince Edward Islands to party on the beach. I'm sorry, Prince Edward Island, singular, to party on the beach with uh, with you and your crew. Maybe mix some fishing in there, hear the fiddle players. But in the meantime, thanks again for jumping on the show. And for everyone listening, you can find everything over at manufacturinghappyhour.com. Ways to get to Manufacturing Masters, connect with Darren. It will all be there. Darren, thanks so much. Thanks, Chris. Hey, thanks for listening. And thank you, Darren, for jumping on today's show. As always, you can access all the resources from these episodes over at manufacturinghappyhour.com on the show notes page. This episode is 76, so you can go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 76. That's one of the best spots where you can go to check out Manufacturing Masters and see what's up with Darren's new program. Before we wrap up, I want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, A3, the Association for Advancing Automation. This is one of the premier groups of manufacturing industrial leaders with expertise in robotics and automation. If you are looking for a community of go-getters in the manufacturing world, this is your group. They constantly throw some of the best events in the industry, including the Automate Conference in June 2022. I should say the Automate Show in June 2022. That's the 6th through 9th in Detroit, Michigan. 
Check them out at automate.org. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. It's super quick to do that. Seriously, just a couple of sentences and hitting that five-star button. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes to get taken straight to the Apple Podcasts platform. And with that, that's a wrap on this week. Thanks so much for listening. We're looking forward to having you back next week. Stay innovative. Stay thirsty. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour, powered by the Industrial Network.